Hello and welcome to the Addison Recorded, the official podcast of the Addison Recorder. I'm Gina Waters coming to you as always from the pod fort and it's a little crowded in here <laughs> this time yeah. um, but I'm joined first and foremost by Meryl Williams. Gina and I have been co-hosting the uh, Addison Recorded podcast season one. We've been discussing episodes of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and this is a special episode of the podcast because we are joined by three other writers in the Addison Recorder starting with... Good evening. I'm Travis Cook. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Addison Recorder. I mostly write about baseball, movies, books, music, pretty much anything there is under the sun. Uh, I'm also joined by some of the other writers we have on staff. I'm Andrew Rostin. Like Travis, I have been with the Recorder since the very beginning. I also write about anything under the sun. Films, music, books. When I'm not writing comics, which is my main vocation. And I'm Lee Yenrick. I write for the Addison Recorder as well. I do a piece called Unscripted Moments, which is a theater beat piece doing um, interviews with local Chicago theater artists. Storefront theaters, to be specific. Very cool. We're glad you're here. Um, so what is you guys' kind of history with the, uh, the Tina Fey canon, like 30 Rock and all that stuff? 30 Rock came out while I was in college. I spent many many nights my freshman, sophomore, junior years watching a lot of 30 Rock. Truth be told, I'm really bad at watching television because more often than not, I keep so busy that I'm not able to adhere to when a TV show is coming out. So while I know Tina Fey from Saturday Night Live, I've watched 30 Rock. I've seen, I've read Bossy Pants. I can't say I'm that familiar. Um, I have not seen a lot of 30 Rock. Um, I'm familiar with just some of her writing. I've read some of Bossy Pants, and I've seen her on SNL. Um, but, yeah, I think that's about it. I grew up during her Weekend Update era with Fallon and Amy Poehler, which was absolutely wonderful. I love 30 Rock. Uh, not as much as my mother and my brother. They used to watch the show together on different parts of, in different parts of Ohio and text back and forth all during the episodes. They got me into it, and I think Mean Girls is one of the best comedies of my lifetime. It's hilarious. really holds up today. I forgot Mean Girls was Tina Fey. I always forget that. Very cool. So, um, yeah, we've been really enjoying talking about um, A Very Cool Kimmy Schmidt. And, yeah, today we're discussing episode 10, Ooh. Kimmy is in a love triangle. Yeah, thank you, Gina. <laughs> um, yeah, and this was um, a pretty cool episode. I think there was a lot going on with it. And uh, what are you guys' thoughts on said love triangle? Well, to kick, th to kick things off, by the time this episode was over, I realized that I was not a fan of either Logan or Dong, both by the way they're, they're <laughs> acting and by the way the writers are portraying them. <laughs> His I, name's Dong. His name is We Dong. are all 13-year-old boys. <laughs> I'm so done with this joke on this show, and I really thought that, that was going to be the end of it. Uh, that was one of my biggest problems in the episode, is that at the end of the episode, and obviously a spoiler because we go for the whole thing, but Kimmy picks Dong over Logan, and yet they're still making the penis joke. After, even after two episodes ago, when Kimmy said, we're not doing the joke anymore, they're still referencing it. He's still playing the whole illegal immigrant thing up to the hilt. 
and it's kind of driving me crazy. I actually didn't catch any other hints of like the, the immigration thing. Was that addressed before this episode? The him being it, afraid of it was, but it wasn't like um, I don't think it was a, a major plot point until this episode because at this episode it does it gets escalated, especially with Logan calling immigration. We find out so. I can't say that I've been keeping up with the show. This is the first full episode of the show that I've seen. I did do my homework for this podcast, but I've been keeping up with the podcast and following along, and I think the immigration thing is actually, it didn't bother me. Um, again, caveat, this is the only full episode I've seen, but what I see instead is commentary. Mm-hmm. I see Tina Fey being a smart writer who obviously knows what it is to write about minorities and representations in popular culture. We're all familiar with 30 Rock. So from my knowledge, this is the first one that kind of pushed that pinpoint, if you will, to the forefront. And I didn't have a problem with it because it made a discussion that this guy is constantly at risk of being deported. That's a threat in this 30 Rock universe that they're all in. Travis is actually correct. I think I misspoke a little bit. It's... Because I brought up the immigration point because that's a main plot in the episode. It's definitely it's more in it's more in that. I mean, she you're, you're entitled to your opinion, no, of no, course. No, I mean, I know. I mean, I, I think well, as we, you discussed with the Indian episode a couple mm-hmm. minutes ago, this show walks a very fine line. Actually, walks the line very well in going back and forth between stereotypes and how we see stereotypes mm-hmm. once in a while it, it never has never quite crossed the line mm-hmm. yet which i wrote which is one of the things i really love about the show mm-hmm. yeah there's definitely i've kind of talked about before there's like stuff that i'm like i'm not sure about that joke and different things that i've been like that have made me feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. but um yeah i don't know i still really enjoy the show I think it's interesting, Tina Fey, using Netflix as this platform. Mm -hmm. There's not as many restrictions as there would be on live TV. Granted, 30 Rock went all over the place and had really would go at topics with no holds barred, racism, sexism, uh, classism, etc. With Netflix, I feel like she's pushing, I think, like you said, walking a fine line a little more. And I think sometimes you're right, it doesn't work. But I think that's because Tina Fey is using Netflix as kind of like a comedy lab to try out things, to see how well this format works. This is very virgin territory for kind of any kind of sitcom. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, although we've come to understand that, like, NBC, like, do you, know, you want to back me up on this a little bit? Like, didn't we hear that um, that NBC kind of passed on this show after it was kind of post-production? Yeah, it was made. I think season one was, like, in the can, as they say, and NBC passed. The rumor is that it was the racial, the racial stuff. So, I mean... In a way, it's like, yeah, a major network had greenlit it, but at the, at the last minute, it seems like they kind of got cold feet. And, mm-hmm. you know, so kind of both points are true, that she didn't make this with Netflix in mind, but Netflix was a much more uh, hospitable uh, home for it. Interesting. Uh, moving on a little bit, just what do you guys think about um, the, I don't know, just like, I bring back to the triangle, like, do you guys have a, a stake in this race? I, I I mean I, I feel like the fir- at first I'm really like rooting for Dong or the Dong character because I, I think he's I, come on guys my God do we get it do we get it all out 
Are we good? No. Still got a lot. We're all 13-year-old boys. It's fine, guys. Um, But uh, I I just really like – honestly, I think he's really sweet, and he reminds me of a lot, like, of – like. It kind of is like almost like a throwback to almost like 16 candles in my brain. We talked about that a little bit. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and I love that film. But I really, I, at first I'm really rooting for him. I think he's, I think he's, a, it's, he's just a super fun, likable character. Mm-hmm. And um, not that Logan isn't because I think he's kind of, he's interesting. I find Logan really interesting and I'm really kind of sad that he's gone away so quickly. <laughs> well, and the reason I say that is I could see, I, I don't know. I just could have seen so much more comedy in that relationship. Between well, between Kimmy and Logan, because I mean, they're like back and forth were just so adorable the way that they communicated with each other. Cause she would say something that was totally off the wall, but he would still be with her. Yeah. And I thought that was so adorable. And it would have been really fun to see how that maybe would have played out in a couple more episodes. Yeah, that's true. I want to build off what Lisa said, because as much annoyed as I was by the continuing penis joke, I like how the writers are handling Dong much Mm -hmm. better than they handled Logan. Because when Logan was introduced, I liked the way he was introduced, how... You could see that he was attracted to Kimmy because mm-hmm. she was somebody who he knew didn't care about his wealth, didn't care about his position. She liked him because of him, and and that attracted him to her. And yet, in two episodes, he starts acting like this total rich douchebag trying to impress her with money. And the, the disjunct there... It just didn't sit well with me at all. I thought it was bad writing. It happened, and the tradition happened way too quickly. Yeah, that was my take on Logan too. That they he turned a one eighty way too fast. Like at first, he just seemed, you know, out of touch but likable, and you know, he seemed to like Kimmy for who she was. But then all of a sudden, he was like talking about jodhpurs and calling immigration on Dong, which is like that's just like despicable like this is a horrible thing and especially when he started talking about climbing mount everest that was like the nail in the coffin for me because that's such a like that is like in my opinion like the rich dick like move like pay because you pay like you have to pay like two hundred thousand dollars to climb mount everest and basically you pay a sherpa to haul your ass up to the top and keep you alive it's like only wealthy assholes do it basically and so that was like the nail in the coffin for logan for me Mm -hmm. this might explain why i didn't have a stake in this love triangle, I was wondering why Kimmy was so invested in him when all I could see was a rich doofus daddy's boy that just seemed so two-dimensional. And it really just did come out of nowhere. Um, so I wasn't sure why the stakes had happened and fallen the way they did. This explains a great deal. Can we, talk, can we please talk about daddy's boy? We need I'm to sorry. talk about daddy's boy. The 1938 musical daddy's boy? I'm, I... I think it was like my favorite thing of the episode being a musical theater actor. Like it just like, I'm just sitting there like crying (laughs) because it is so like the, the writing for it is so like spot on. It's almost like something right out of Cole Porter. And I I loved every second of it. And it was so, (laughs) it was like, it treaded that line so beautifully of being could be very grotesque and be taken and it can and it is supposed to be taken the wrong way 
but still on tundras in there. Oh, single no, really? <laughs> but it, it's like it, it was just beautiful and wonderful. Well, it's good to have a musical theater perspective on that. Cause yeah, it was like what is this crazy song? I'll, I'll also add because we keep a running list of the cameos here. There were so many great ones in this episode, and Daddy's Boy alone he had. Jefferson Mays, who's one of the biggest names on Broadway right now, mm-hmm. and John Cullum popping up as daddy of a daddy's boy. John Cullum, very popular in my family. My mom watched Northern Exposure for its entire run, and my family watches 1776 every 4th of July when we're home, in which he sings Molasses to Rum and does it very, very well. <laughs> I wondered who the hell all those people were. I had no idea. But I also want to add really quick, I loved how it ended the episode because as Lee pointed out, it's walks a fine line itself. Mm -hmm. It's so self parodying to the point where it's delusional, where it, it, the words say one thing, but we all know it really means something else. Mm -hmm. And that contrasts to our wonderful heroine, because one thing this episode reminds us is that part of Kimmy's strength is that she lives without delusions. She as not in touch with the full 2015 world as she is. She's always tough, resourceful, and looks things straight in the eye. That's why she picks Dong over Logan. One thing also we have to know um, about John Collum, he was um, in on 30 Rock on the Leap Day episode. He was mm. Leap Day William, <laughs> which Aww. is, that was the first thing I thought of. I wasn't as familiar with his other body of work, but, and also in relation to all the daddy's, daddy's boy stuff, another important, important cameo was um, Robert Osborne from TCM, who is, you know, yeah. a fixture. He was a, he was a fixture in my house, like, that was always introducing all the, like, amazing. classic I- movies. And he did, I thought he was amazing. His, he, he has some comedic timing there. I was impressed. I died a little bit at his throwaway. We had a deal. <laughs> we had a deal, guys. I it died. Was so good. It I'm was just so good. so glad they didn't, like, uh, they played the whole song through the credits. I honestly watched the whole credit, or listened to the whole credits, because oh, yeah. I thought the We're song good. was so... <laughs> oh, gosh. It was... His, I mean, it's... You have to have a really kind of black sense of humor and by that i mean dark sense of humor um because it's very kind of a dark comedic song but i loved every second i of actually it. thought the end song the dicky song was better than the the full-on oh, production the number because the production number didn't feel quite enough like a 1930s musical to me mm-hmm. but just hearing that just sounded like yeah this just popped off some lost lost and buried cole porter record that Doesn't he wanted it? nobody to see so there yeah. it is all right, unless anyone has anything specific to say about Daddy's Boy, one other thing I think we have to discuss is there was a lot of Zan stuff happening in this episode. And I found it a little, again, it's almost like the Logan thing. All of a sudden, she's a closet nerd, which I didn't buy and all that. And then they were allies for like like a like a hot minute. And then she Kimmy's back to, or uh, Zan's back to her mustache twirling and saying, I'm going to get you. That just, it all felt really rushed to me. And I didn't even feel, I mean, the, the stuff with like the crackdown was funny, but mm-hmm. I never felt like they were really on the same page. I don't know. What did, what did you guys think about the Zan hijinks? I, I mean, I didn't, honestly, I didn't mind it. Because I can see that character was kind of, um, it didn't have like a, it was, it was coming to be almost like a cliche plot point. 
So I could see why they kind of did a quick 180 with the Zan character. Um, I maybe, at least for me, I think getting her kind of like off in this other world could be very interesting for um, next season because her going away and then what happens while she's away could be very interesting because otherwise I think it could be kind of one note. Um, I've been pretty vocal about how much I hate Zan. Okay. <laughs> um, so part of me is like, oh, good, she's going away. But part of me is also like, I kind of warmed up to her in this episode. I'm with Eugenia on how she just, yeah, they did kind of say like, oh, she's not such a screw up after all. She's like in the band secretly and no one knows it. And she's a straight A student. Uh, Andrew, what'd you, what were your thoughts on that? Two things about Zan's plot line. Well, one, I made this comment on our Facebook wall a couple weeks ago, but Xanthippe historically was the wife of Socrates, and she has this reputation in history for being incredibly shrewish and incredibly disregarding of her husband's work. And the one thing I kind of thought about the whole Zan Kimmy's relationship is that Kimmy is sort of Zan's Socratic figure. She, Kimmy Solving is no thyself. The first thing she ever really says to Zan in Zan's debut is, you have a chance to become a person that I never did. I didn't have this chance. You need to grow into the person you're supposed to be. And in this episode is her basically finding truly what she has in common with Zan and then letting Zan, she, she basically reveals who Zan really is to the world and gives her this chance to have what could be a very good start for her. Correct me if I'm wrong on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll just leave. Good. Um, that hurts, Lee. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, again, I come to this as an outsider, so I may very well be wrong, but it felt like a lot of like plot mechanics happened in this episode that affect the greater arc of the show. Are all of the episodes like this, or is this kind of out of the ordinary? I felt like this one, um, th- there are a lot of really fast-paced, like, joke-dense episodes, but this one felt like, yeah, it was like a plot firing squad, you know, with, like, the Logan stuff happening and the Zan stuff happening. Um, it, it, it was, like, two characters, both Logan and Zan, that, like, did did such a quick turnaround. And Logan, I think, we're never going to see again, but Zan is obviously going to, you know, stick around. But, yeah, they're, they're not normally, there's not normally this much happening plot-wise. I, I... Um, one thing that I did appreciate with the stuff with Dan is that they did bring back, like, what's your stupid friend's name? Simone or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, when we first meet Simone and Zan, like, Simone is, like, super drunk and Kimmy saves her life. And I remember, like, being emphatic about that in whatever episode that was and just, like, how crazy of an introduction that was. Um, but, yeah, like, they bring that back because... Like, Kimmy says something about, like, you know, no underage drinking on my watch or something. And Simone's like, oh, classic, whoever you are. And Kimmy just looks at her and is like, I saved your life once. <laughs> I'm glad they brought that back. Like, at least acknowledged it. Talk about bringing things back. Do you notice they brought Buckley back? Just call the kid McGuffin now. He only exists to get one stupid joke in every episode he's in. And he also gets Kimmy the job with Jacqueline. Yes, what but I we... loved that joke. Two uh-huh. Christmases. <laughs> I think I said when uh, the very first episode when Buckley was beating the crap out of uh, Titus that he was a sociopath. <laughs> and I think 
we have further evidence of that because his first reaction to his parents' divorce is two Christmases. So we can officially call Buckley a sociopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, question for Meryl really quick. I know you're a huge fan of Breaking Bad. Did you enjoy Dean Norris as Laloop? Oh, Andrew, I was, I was wondering when we were going to get to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking about amazing cameos in this episode. I, yeah, like you said, somehow you cheered when um, Amy Sedaris came on screen in that one episode, Gina. This was me with Dean Norris. I was just like, yes. <laughs> so I, I think this is the first thing I've seen him on since Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. a show that has been off the air for like, a year and a half, and I still talk about how much I miss. <laughs> and yeah, so I was I was very excited to see him. So you are correct. I'm actually curious, um, Lee. You and I both have worked as actors in the city, yep. uh, so I'm very curious as to your thoughts on the actor straight training course that Titus went through with Le Loop. I mean, it's really interesting, and I think it's a really and I think it's an interesting commentary that um, they've written in here because. Um, there are so many actors that are probably still in the closet. Mm-hmm. So just so that they can get work as straight men or convey as being straight. Um, so I, I think it's a really nice, um, door opening to that. It's just like for, but that's with anything. I think it's a nice door opening to putting anything in a box because even both of us get put in small little boxes so i've definitely been put in boxes just by being you know taller than most guys in the city apparently so what yeah i'm too tall for theater i knew it um but i'm actually i thought it was really interesting because i'm pretty sure there actually are acting teachers out there Mm -hmm. like dean norris's character who work with um overly effeminate gay men who work in the theater yeah I, i mean i'm i'm just in the Shows I've worked in, I've encountered several who are able to turn it on and others who have a problem with it and suffer getting work because of it. So mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. I was actually kind of glad that got pointed out as well, just because I'm pretty sure the acting community at large could greatly appreciate something like that. Just I saying, yes, it's okay. Totally agree. Um, one joke that I especially liked that I thought was appropriate for Chicagoans was um, when Titus was talking about making up words, and he said, like, you know, like, snow obesity. <laughs> you can't tell if someone's fat if they're wearing a puffy coat. <laughs> I was like, that's Chicago. I think, too, just first first of all about Dean Norris, I have to say, he was also on 30 Rock. He was the Couchtown commercial guy. Oh, yeah, so okay. that, again, more more tie, ties in there. But uh, snow obesity I had written down as one of my favorite lines in the episode. But... Um, Another Dean Norris one, a Dean Norris line that was a real winner to me was, straight men never give any indication they're listening. Oh, my goodness. And also when he said, you yelled, you denied help, you broke something. That's your first lesson in behaving like a straight man. (laughs) Bye, Felicia. (laughs) Bye, Felicia. I don't know. I love the, I I even just love the opening sequence, not to just like take us all the way off topic, but the opening sequence when they're in, um, Titus's bar and she's just laughing at all the like she's like you guys don't know scary stuff until you're in a you've been like kidnapped in a bunker and I'm like (laughs) that's so funny I love every second of it (laughs) although I have to say my favorite line of the whole whole episode that I rewound like three times and was like crying with tears was I don't want to eat a bird I might know (laughs) (laughs) yeah one that that 
rich snobby dude. Did I always say his name wrong? It's Beaker, right? Beekman. Beekman. Oh my god, I did it again. Yeah, like Beekman says to her, um, well, it's something about Care Bears. Like, oh my gosh. Bears. It depends on the bear. It depends <laughs> on the bear. Yeah. True. That was totally worth it. Though yeah. so I love the um, comment on um, everything sounds better in a British accent. Do what I do. And she tries doing all these accents, yeah. and I thought that was like just. Like, yeah. Yeah. And his example. Down on the ball, baby. His example of bad news was the dolphin died on the sidewalk. (laughs) (laughs) And she smiles at that. She smiles at that. I would. One line I loved that actually got some expert commentary on was Zan's farewell to Kimmy. I'm going to learn everything Connecticut has to teach me, and I'll be back for my revenge. And I consulted friend of the recorder, Emily Steers, who runs the blog Yankee Smartass and is from Connecticut. And she said in part, wrote this down, that Connecticut is full of people who are really resilient, even if they're insular, and will fight for what they believe in. It's no coincidence that Mark Twain and Harriet Beecher Stowe live within blocks of each other. It's a great place for subversive intellectuals and people who fight about getting their hands dirty. And... That's Zan, pretty much, the way we come to know her in this episode. Nice. That is a very cool interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not positive, but I think that that is a reference to the show Revenge on ABC, which I believe takes place in Connecticut. Can you speak to that, Gina? I think it takes place in the Hamptons. Mm. I could, but it, I think that still could be a reference. Um, speaking of references, I just have to say there were two fantastic 90s references that, as a 90s teen, I really appreciated. One was the reference to Shoop. Oh, shoop. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes, please. And that Dong was dressed as Criss Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered that line. Um, I wanted to bring up something that, Gina, I wanted to get your opinion on. Just, like, there's this quick moment um, when they're at the uh, the restaurant where Dong works, and it's after, like, the bus has happened, and the cop comes back and says, like, you tell that Dong that you know, if he comes by, that we're looking for him. And what does he do? His, t- his, his accent totally drops in that scene. Yeah, he does a, you know, you got American accent. Yeah. He clearly can do it. So right? <laughs> it's just yeah. like, oh, yeah. The accent is still, every time I hear it, I just like, I cringe internally. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. Couldn't they have made him Italian or something? Right. Like, But that's kind of like what you called in an earlier episode. You're like, it would be really funny if all of a sudden the accent he just, just dropped, dropped it. Off. Yes. Yeah. I mean, clearly it, that was funny. And it, that should have happened like yeah. two episodes ago. And then they could have just stuck with it. Stuck with is it. it an absurd enough show where that would have totally it would have flown yeah hook line and sinker i would have bought it and it would have made that problem completely go away yeah solution yeah wasted opportunity <laughs> just really quick that scene was also kind of what i was getting at as part of my problem with dong at the beginning because when the cop comes in he acts like he's already met dong it's the first time they've met because he's like one more thing buddy and for me it just plays into the stereotype of oh asian people all look the same to white mm. people and it's never those okay it's walking the line i'm seeing you i appreciate it you're getting close Ugh. i don't know i did not pick up on that reference Ugh. Gross. um let's see were there any other oh gina what'd you got one thing I wanted to mention were the writers of this episode. I thought with like there was a lot of like straight guy bashing in this episode, which I frankly enjoyed greatly. Um, especially like the buffer seat 
what is seriously what is up with that like when guys go to the movies and they have to put a seat between them no no one's gonna think you're gay if you sit together it's not a matter of whether people think you're gay <laughs> speaking as a straight man who has utilized the buffer seat when my brother and i go to the movies we usually have a buffer seat a it's a place to keep your coats in winter because we're from ohio b we're large dudes we take up a lot of space c you got places to put your drinks and all your, you know, your extra snacks. It's fine. My brother and I need that extra seat. We've discovered this. It makes our movie-going experience even better. I was on an airplane earlier this week in between two dudes, and man, <laughs> that buffer seat. I was in the buffer seat, and both of those dudes' legs were in my leg space, and I did not appreciate it. Exactly. It's, it's really a thing we kind of do to be polite, if not so much to each other than to the rest of the theater that doesn't have to hear us fighting throughout the entire movie over who's going to put their leg where and on who. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll concede on the, on the buffer seat thing, but I've never seen two, two gay guys, regardless of size, use a buffer seat. Just saying. Um, but the reason I was noticing all this straight guy bashing was that um, the writers of this episode were two ladies. I mean, uh, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock have writing credits on every episode. Um, but this episode is written by, um, I'm probably going to slaughter both of these names, but Lauren Gerganis, who um, was one of the writers on the Nothing Left to Lose episode of 30 Rock in season six, which is a great one. Um, you may remember it as the one where Jack decides to make Pete shave his like remaining hair and like go to the gym and it doesn't go well um but the other writer i was super excited didn't realize she was even writing for this show was azzy myra dungy i don't know if you guys have ever heard of the web series ask a slave i don't know if that's Mm -mm. (laughs) it's hilarious um she is an actor or an actor and writer who worked as one of those like role-playing slaves that you see at like mount vernon and like colonial williamsburg she actually did that early in her acting career Mm -hmm. and she created this hilarious web series that if you haven't watched it go on youtube like right now like stop this podcast no i'm just kidding wait till it's done um and look up ask a slave and it is hilarious where she actually takes questions that people asked her when she was working at mount vernon and answers them and you will not believe some of the questions that white tourists asked her when she was role-playing as a slave she is hilarious so i was really really excited that she wrote this episode and explains why i liked it that sounds terrifying (laughs) i really want to listen to it agreed Oh, I had one last spot, last cameo we didn't mention. I wish, even though she really doesn't have a place in this episode, Jane Krakowski could have had one scene with Christine Ebersole because they're really two of a kind, and I bet their back and forth would have been fantastic. Um, yeah, are there any other stray observations that you guys had? I just know that um, I, <laughs> I like the one line when, um, after Dong has like reunited with Kimmy at the end, he's decided that he's not going to leave New York. And but he's you know in, kind of reinforcing to her how serious his situation is, and he's concerned about being deported. And he's like, "Immigration's looking for me," and she's like, "So it took the police fifteen years to find me." <laughs> kind of messed up. I don't know. I kind of wish they would have maybe. I get why they did it. Um, but I, I, I mean, I get why they'd have him like be like, maybe we should get married kind of at the end of the episode. I get it because it kind of evens out like um, Dong and um, Logan in like the sense they're like kind of almost a little bit using Kimmy, um, maybe because of her naivety. But um, that was interesting. 
But I kind of wish maybe they would have waited like one more episode because I wanted to like him. I really did. Yeah, I found the marriage thing a little bit like off. I mean, he kind of plays it off as like, oh, just kidding. But like, yeah, that was that was seemed like a weird left turn. I'm, I'm back and forth on it because like it, it, it does make the the two gentlemen like almost kind of like, oh, two like it's like two like a two-sided quarter it's like heads or tails it's kind of like mm, well baby yeah. i'm with you on that one by the end of the episode i just didn't think either of them were right for kimmy at all mm. yeah. um i have one more stray observation that i want to get into and then we've got a special segment for our guests um and that is that i super appreciated the very literal t-shirts in this episode <laughs> In which Kimmy is wearing a shirt that just says drugs on it. Uh, and, yes, please. And I love Titus's uh, sports jersey that just says sports. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, thanks, guys, for being on our podcast. Oh, for sure. And uh, we want to ask you all some questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay. And um, I'm going to lead off with the first one, which is um, for each of you. What is one show that people that you like and respect the taste of, they keep telling you, you got to watch this show, but you, for one reason or another, just can't seem to get into it? Travis, what you got? Uh, you could name it. And I probably have been told to watch it. I've watched it and enjoyed it. I just can't get, I have a hard time watching TV. Uh, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, uh, Community. Uh, 30 Rock for a long time. I couldn't finish it. Um, Parks and Rec. Uh, You name a show, and I probably have tried to watch it and not been able to just continue it because I get my short attention span does not allow for long, extended binge watching. Actually, I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm sorry, Meryl. (laughs) But um, I couldn't get into Breaking Bad. I couldn't stick. It's not everyone. Well, and... for like, and I tried to honestly watch it just as like an actor trying to appreciate the great work that was going on. Um, and there was a lot of plot lines I really liked and there, and like I could stick with, and there's a lot of characters I really liked, but for like the duration, I couldn't stick it out. Yeah. <laughs> and the same with, um, the walking dead. Mm-hmm. That one I, I like, I tried watching it a couple of times and I was like, yeah, I can't. I can't jive. Can't jive with it. I haven't watched much of Walking Dead to be honest. Yeah, but yeah Breaking Bad, man. There's a certain point where when you hit it, you're just like, I got to keep watching this show. I actively know people on The Walking Dead, and I can't watch it. Mm. Like, I just, I can't get into it. Mm. All right, Andrew, what you got? It's funny because I'm totally with Lee and Travis on this. In the comics world, The Walking Dead is a really extreme show. You love it or you hate it, and. I've just been completely indifferent. I don't need to watch people wandering through a landscape while zombies chase them and nothing ever seems to happen no matter how long it keeps going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other one, which is a show I've discovered among my circles of friends, has a lot of devout followers that I've never, ever liked is Friends. I've seen two episodes of Friends in my life. I have no idea why the show was popular, why people cared about it so much. I, I will never be able to wrap my head around it. You can leave the pod for it now. I feel like we say that to all of our guests. We, we inevitably kick out all of our guests for their choices in these answers. I almost want to see. All right. Well, we have a, a second question for all of you. Mm-hmm. This one may take a little bit of thinking, but think fast. <laughs> question two is, if you were a character on a television show, 
take you as who you are in your life, in real life, who would play you and why? Uh, Jake Johnson from New Girl, because uh, Nick Miller is my spirit animal. Mm. He clearly gets something about me without having to have met me. So I would be played by Jake Johnson, and uh, is totally okay by me. How about you, Lee? That's, that's, need, a, need a minute? Yeah, I actually, I, I do. All right, Andrew. I'll go, because um, I actually was thinking about this today, getting ready for this episode. I kind of feel like Jonah Hill would play me, mm. because he's nerdy, which I think I am in a lot of ways people define nerdy. But he's also earnest. He's not 100% earnest, but he has a mix of light and dark in him. But his earnestness usually wins out most of the things he does. Like, he'll stumble into something, usually of his own making, and then find a way out of it. And I found that for most of my life, that's been how I've how things have gone with me. See, if it could be him or Jesse Eisenberg. But Jesse Eisenberg, there's a lot of darkness in some of that guy's roles, which is not me. <laughs> Didn't Kevin Jiska say Jesse Eisenberg? I thought so. That was Maybe that was his backup. That's so funny. All right. Lee, what okay. are you thinking? I'm going to go with who I would like to play nice. me. In. <laughs> and I'm going to go with Elizabeth Moss. Ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because she can, um, she can play young, and which is sometimes what I get that little box that I get shoved into um, as an actor. But um, she also has this, like, real sincerity and, I like, real guts about her. And I, I think she's incredible. So I'd okay. go with Elizabeth Moss. We love Elizabeth Moss. Um, okay. So we have our third question, which, uh, as you may know, if you've been listening to the show, we've been keeping a tally of our guests' responses to this last question. Okay. And it's in reference to the pilot of Kimmy Schmidt in which they say something about a like a can, a can or a bottle of pop is like $5, something like that, close to that. Okay. Um, and so we want to know, is it pop or is it soda? Pop. I'll go with soda. Mm, first one. How about you, Andrew? Pop. It's been pop since I was six years old, and I drink Cherry 7-Up with my pizza. Yeah. Always pop. And so let's see. Let me see if I got this right. So you're northeastern Ohio, is that right? Youngstown. I'm southwestern Ohio, so pop. Northwest Ohio. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm actually, I'm southeastern, so right now we've got all four corners. We got you cornered, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm surrounded by Buckeyes. I don't know what to do. Run. You got, you got that. Well, yeah, I think that just about does it for this episode. Uh, oh, but we have gifts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Well, what have you brought for the pod for? You go first, Andrew. I was at the Art Institute the other day and found this. It's a print of a painting by Andy Warhol called Wild Raspberries. Aww. And I thought it has bright colors. It's of a cake. <laughs> all things Kimmy likes. So That's <laughs> true. And also, it, there's an entire recipe on the bottom by Dorothy Kilgallen, great Chicago female journalist. Yay. So, pot covered all the bases. And that's, that's cool. a little more color to the pot for it. Those are definitely Kimmy colors. So that is a Kimmy color. We'll have to put a picture of that on our social media so you guys can all see that. Lee, what you got? I got, I got you have to unwrap it. Ooh. Just tear in. Oh, wow. <laughs> Tell where you got it. It's a mole person. Oh it's God. a mole person. Because 
Kimmy's a mole person. Oh my god. That is amazing. Kimmy. She's adorable. I think it may light up or something, but you I thought what? that was adorable and I thought you needed it in yes. the fort. You know what my favorite part about this mole person is that it's wearing a yellow construction hat. Yeah. Ah. Just like in that. Yeah. Episode. I like your yellow hat. <laughs> oh, that is perfect. That Thank was you. Was that in this episode? Uh, the yellow hat no. comment. It's oh, earlier on when she gets like street harassed. Yeah, something. and I that was one of my favorite things about the Me show. Too. Honestly, yeah. I think it was in the trailer too. That was a good joke that they. It was. It was yeah. great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. These are super exciting. Um, yeah, we'll be sharing these uh, online so you can see them and everything. Um, then yeah, this was a pretty fun panel discussion we want to know where we can find you guys on the internet so travis where can people find you online you can follow me on twitter at travis j cook Uh, i'm on facebook you can look for me there i'm a little harder to find there Um, but otherwise um, i try and share most everything on the addison recorder so like that on facebook and i'll probably find you that way can find me a couple places. <laughs> um, uh, you can find me on Facebook at Lee Yenrick. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lady Leebug. And you can find, I also have my own website, leeyenrick.com. Come check it out. Yeah, and that, that Facebook, that's actually like your fan page for your. It is. It, it's basically where I post all my acting gigs and things. And Lee, can you just spell your name real quick? Because I know there's multiple spellings. Oh, there's so many spellings. Um, but I spell mine like Vivian Lee. Um, so L E I G H. And my last name is Yen Rick, like a Yen and a Rick. All right. Alas, poor Yen Rick, we knew her well. Mm. <laughs> Andrew, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at. Andrew Rostin, R-O-S-T-A-N. I'm on Facebook as Andrew J. Rostin, which is the name I like to write under. I will actually be launching a new website of my own next week, which another of our writers, Christina Brandon, helped me work out all the kinks for. And you can also find all of my really opinionated stuff on the Ask Recorder, which, as I've told Many people, especially Travis, many a time, is one of the absolute best things I do in my life. And you can still find copies of my first book, An Elegy for Amelia Johnson, crawling around the internet in different corners. Very cool. Second book coming in 2016. Woo! All right. Looking forward to it. Um, well, I am on Twitter at Meryl Williams. That's M-E-R-Y-L Williams. And Gina, where can we find you on the internet? I am at Mercury Marie 5 on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, other places. Google me, see what happens. Although there is a lady of the evening in Texas who goes by my same name. That is not me. <laughs> Good to know. Um, so, yeah, this was a pretty fun episode. Thanks, guys. Um, you can find more stuff by the Addison Recorder staff at AddisonRecorder.com. You can find us on Facebook at Addison Recorder or on Twitter at Addison Recorder. You can... I don't know. You can check us out on SoundCloud, too, for a lot of places. I'm just going to keep saying Addison Recorder. Check them out. Check them out. Yeah. Subscribe on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Andrew. Um, And also, thanks to the Pleasure Centers, which is the local Chicago band that let us use the song that you're listening to right now called Baby Etc. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Good night. Sleep tight. (laughs) 